The 4AM Club. Today I'm talking to Roxy. Roxy is a littles teacher and is passionate about child education. In this episode, Roxy will be sharing her journey with preeclampsia, the ordeal of having a premature baby, and high-risk pregnancy. Tell me what it was like after you fell pregnant up until Hallie was born. I had the easiest pregnancy for my first. Obviously, we found out that I was pregnant six months into our marriage, which was a blessing because we never had to try to have a kid. Our kid just happened and we were pregnant. And yeah, everything was absolutely fine because we went into COVID, we went into lockdown. I was doing a lot of online teaching at the time. So I did online teaching, closed my laptop, took a nap. That was my pregnancy up to 30 weeks. And then we went from level five lockdown to level four. So things were a little bit easier, but the hospital itself was still level five. So nobody was going in or out unless you were a patient. And we had moved into our new place. I remember we were living in our new place, which had more bedrooms than our place before, which you remember. And we were getting ready for our little one. Yes, we were getting ready, but also we were still trying to figure out how to just enjoy the new place that we were living in. And we went for a checkup. I still remember they called me the day before we went for our checkup and said, listen, we're actually allowing dads to come in. Is your husband available? And I said, absolutely, he's going to be there. So we went in for our checkup. That was the Friday. It was a 12 o'clock checkup as normal. Firstly, you often have to go and do like, you do your wee, pee on the stick. They need to check everything is fine. I walked out, she looked at the strip and she was like, okay. You could see that she already had a freaked out look on her face. And I had asked, is everything fine? She's like, no, 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 it's fine. And then she took the strip to the doctor. And then after that, we went in for our checkup and my blood pressure was so high. It was 171 over 94, which is very, very high. In fact, I'd never known blood pressure like I'd known with my pregnancies after Heli. And especially with my second one, to check what it is, to check what how normal it is when it's not normal. I, I won't say like I'm a fundi, but I know how to read blood pressure really well now. <laughs> um, it was like, I just became a medical practitioner overnight. So yeah, my blood pressure was extremely high. And she said, okay, so it's extremely high. I'm going to let you lay on the, on the bed for a little bit and just calm your body down. And in that moment, all Rich and I could do was laugh, make jokes and pray. And then she came in about 15 minutes later and said to me, okay, guys, it's not coming down. The blood pressure is not coming down. Let's go into my office. Let's chat. And she looked at both of us and she said, listen, I'm going to have to admit to you straight away because your blood pressure is not coming down. Also, there's something called protein in your urine. And this is signs of preeclampsia. Both of us had never heard of preeclampsia before. We didn't even know what it was. And she also said to Rich, because he loves information and facts, don't go Google it. Any information you need, come and ask me about it. Because there's been deaths with eclampsia, not preeclampsia. So I'm just going to let you guys have a moment. We're going to check if there's a bed available. And yeah, we're going to admit you straight away. 
there was nothing we could think about. There was nothing we could do. Everything was happening so fast. So I went into the room next door. I burst into tears. Carrie, her assistant, came to me and said, listen, I'm going to give you five minutes and then I'm going to have to take you to the ward. Just bear in mind, this is COVID, level five, in the hospital, there's no visitors. So Rich walked with me to the ward and we had to say goodbye to each other. And we didn't know when we were going to see each other again. He had to go get all my clothes, get everything, drop it at the security. And that was pretty much the last time he saw me until we figured out what was plotting. I went into the ward. It was the COVID ward because they had to do COVID testing before they could send me to the maternity. Everybody had come and done blood. All they had to come and take blood. They had to come and do a COVID test, which was the worst. I didn't know what was happening, but they had somewhat an information. So all these things were happening around me. And here I was in this room completely alone and pregnant. Emotions are running high. Hormones are running high. And I was just constantly in tears. But again, because when certain situations happen in our family, we tend to make jokes just to take the pressure off and things like that. And there I was laying in that bed trying to deal with it like that, like making jokes, taking the mickey out of it. But the reality was it was really serious. What was happening to me and what was happening to my body was extremely dangerous to the point where I could have either lost my life or we would have lost the baby. We didn't, but it was it was really dangerous where we were at. So I was in the hospital from the Friday to the Monday. Our gynae saw me on the Monday again. I had no visitors. Nobody was coming to see me except they were going to come take blood. That's the only people I was seeing, nurses and people coming to take my blood. I was really popular. And then the Monday, she looked at the scan and said, listen, the baby doesn't look like she's growing anymore. So she's probably not going to stay in your womb for very long. You're going to keep her in as long as possible, but you're not going home. You're probably going to be in this hospital for the rest of the week. Rich had to go and get a COVID test because they wanted to get us ready. I was 30 weeks at that time, 30 weeks and six days at that time. And she said she was going to keep baby in as long as possible probably looking at 32 weeks. He went off, got his COVID test. And this was back in the day when your COVID test only came back in like two days. It wasn't instant. It wasn't rapid. You were waiting long. People were still trying to figure out what this virus was. There I was just waiting, went to a maternity ward, which was lovely because the nurses were just, listen, they were in it with you. They didn't know you from a bar so, but they were like, listen, mama, we're here with you and we're going to walk this road with you however long it is. Come Tuesday, she walks into my, my room at half past nine and said, the medication is not working. We need to go get baby today. And the first thing that pops into my head was, Rich just got the COVID test yesterday. He doesn't have his results yet. If he doesn't have his results, he's not going to be able to be in the room with me. And she said, we're going to do everything in our power to get him in that room. I was meant to go into the theater at 10 to 4. I ended up going in at quarter past one. And because of that, Rich couldn't be in the ward with, it couldn't be in theater with me at all. So I was there completely, completely alone. You have people around you, people who don't know you, but you're absolutely alone. I don't know about you, but I felt like they treat you like a patient. They don't treat you at that point like a person. 
no, they're ticking boxes. I was laying there and the anesthetist came to me and asked me about gap cover. <laughs> he was asking me before I went in, he's like, just checking you have gap cover. I'm like, I don't even know what's happening here right now. I don't I'm even care. Family. I might die. Like, go away. I'm about to become a mom. This is going to happen to my body. I haven't processed what a C-section even was. I'm about to have an emergency one. So, and and Rich was messaging me at the time and he's just telling me, tell the guy to just walk away and go get our daughter. And that's who was saying. And so they were obviously wheeled me and got me ready. Rich is sitting outside in his car, outside the gate of the hospital because he wasn't allowed in. So he's sitting there and he's just waiting. And I'm, oh, I'm going to get emotional. And there I was laying, they're doing everything. They're nipping and tucking and pulling and pulling. And before you know it, she arrives. And she is 1.1 kilograms. She's doiny. And you just hear this faint cry. And my pediatrician, whom I just met, because again, we didn't even know about pediatricians, but she's a specialist in prem babies. So I'm really glad that they had placed her on our case. And here she is and she's holding her and she's like, mom, I'm going to give it to you and you, you, you're going to hold her and, and we're going to take a photo and, and then I'm going to have to take her away. And I had a few seconds of holding her and just saying, I know you. That's all I could remember saying. I know you. You're here. They took her away. They had to rush her to the NICU, had to get all what she needed in because she needed all the stuff. And, and even that they didn't prepare me for. And that's what happened. And she was born. <laughs> the pistol came on to me, over to me. And he said, oh, you can just stay in bed for the rest of the day. She was born and they wheeled me back into the room. And all I could do was chat to everybody over the phone. And we called her Hallie because we felt that she was a heroine. She was a hero. And it was Hallie Grace because we felt it was a season of grace, which it still is. And she was born at 13.59 on the 7th of the 7th, 2020. And everything else after that was a blur, but it wasn't a blur. I remember you sending a due date, and I think it was for July? No, she was due in September. Yeah, September, that's right, and she arrived. I was like, I'm not that good at maths, but I'm pretty sure that's really soon. And Ben was like, yes, well done. So... When you had time to process that you had a prem baby, what was the hardest part for you? The only time I really processed that I had a prem baby is when I saw her the first time and all these tubes were coming out of her because they don't prepare you for that either. Ben actually prepared me. He said, don't get scared because, okay, so my baby was not prem, but I think they got to charge more. So they also took him to NICU. And that's yeah. why I know the experience of like, take a photo, just taking your baby away. And Ben said to me, just don't freak out. You're going to see him with lots of tubes. I've asked them to take most of them out. Just, just be ready. But I think it was different for you because she actually stayed in the NICU for a while. She was in there for six and a half weeks. I wish somebody had told me that. I wish somebody had just said to me, listen, you're going to see her, but she's not going to look like she looks in the movies. She's not going to look like somebody who's just had given birth. She's going to have tubes coming out of her, but those tubes are good for her because they're going to help her for the next couple of weeks. They're not there to hurt her. They're actually there 
to make her stronger. I wish somebody had told me that. Yeah. I, I didn't, nobody told us that. We walked into the NICU. I was still very much high on the drugs of the day before. So my body was actually trying to get rid of it. So I was still like super loopy. Yeah. And here I was putting her in an incubator, which was making this beep, beep sound. But there was nothing wrong with her. It was there was something wrong with the incubator. It's amazing how your sensories can comfort you or freak you out, which can even lead to more trauma. And I remember that sound was just not good for me because I think that sound made me think of oh, there's something, she's not going to make it. So there I was seeing her and she had all this tube. She was extremely tiny. And that was the moment of like, she's firstly not going to come home when I think she should come home. Second of all, I'm a mom, but my baby's not with me. And I need her for my body to make milk. That's not happening. And all my gynae said to me was, there's a long road ahead. What that looked like, nobody could tell me, nobody could explain to me. And there's just a long road ahead. And it was literally, it felt like we were macheting through a path that was never there before. Because nobody could explain to us what was going to happen. Nobody could tell us that this is what's going to happen at the end because every story is different, every road is different, but nobody could just go, let's come alongside you and let's just walk this road with you. It was Rich and I, and actually it was just me because I had to go in. Rich couldn't go in, he wasn't allowed in. Only the mom was allowed in because it was COVID rules. I had to go in every single day and I would sit there from eight until 12, sometimes two, and just sit and watch her. The first time I got to hold her, she had tubes and it was just, it wasn't like I knew her. Like I was, this was my kid. Like it was my kid, but it was my kid that was there. There wasn't a bond that I could have with her now. I mean, that's my kid, no matter what. There's a bond, there's a love, I hold her. But in that moment, it was like a very surreal moment of that is my kid, but it isn't my kid. And I could be there with her, but I couldn't be there with her, which is very bizarre. And just to give people an idea, 1.1 kgs, how many centimeters is that? She was what, like 35 centimeters. Yeah. So that's even less, you know, like a 2.5 kg sugar. It's a lot yeah. less, Yeah. like a kg less. So she wasn't, she was 35 centimeters, 1.1 kgs. You could see her ribs. <laughs> like I was obviously taking lots of pictures. I was doing lots of videos, but she was laying there with very little on her bones, but laying like she was on the beach. So just even that just gave me so much confidence in who she was and who she is as a person because she is a fighter and she still is. She was fighting and she was teaching me how to be a fighter. What were some of the things that you thought you were going to do with her as a newborn that you ended up not being able to do? Oh gosh, I never got a room ready that I wanted to. I never, I never got the chance to really just put her clothes out and get it ready and have my maternity bag packed and have her with me so that I could breastfeed her. My breastfeeding was super different. I would have to go in, hold her. And then once she was napping in the NICU, I would go and I would pump and I would only have a little bit. I didn't have a lot of milk. 
So she was on formula a lot earlier than I would wanted her to be. I had no idea what breastfeeding even looked like. And I didn't even have her with me physically. I'd have her with me and I'd hold her for maybe 40, to, 40 minutes to an hour because you also couldn't hold them too long because of the tubes and because of everything. And even though it's a sterilized environment, her immune system is still non-existent. So I had that. And that little bit of time I had with her is what came from it was breast milk. And it wasn't a lot. So I never got a chance to breastfeed. I never got a chance to just have that newborn shoot that everybody has. I never had the chance to just have the baby be in hospital for three days and leave together with my husband. We did with our second one, which was wonderful. But the first opportunity as a mom, that never happened. And I don't know if you know this, but actually I was in hospital gave birth and then the Wednesday got to like meet her a little bit Thursday happened and my mom passed away so it wasn't just that I was just a new mom trying to deal with that trauma my mom had passed away in Cape Town and that was that trauma that I needed to deal with as well so it was all these episodic trauma that was happening that was just layering upon layer that I needed to start dealing with. So besides having a newborn in the NICU, there was grief. And I couldn't go to Cape Town to be at the funeral because it was still inter-provincial traveling. And if we did that, then I would have to, I would have to go into lockdown for two weeks before I could see Hallie. So I couldn't go to the funeral because I needed to be there. I needed to be present with, with Hallie. So that was still taking place. So it was a lot of to try and figure out, okay, what do I actually need to do? And sometimes it was just survival mode. What did you need to hear? And what did you need to not hear during that time? Not hear how small my kid is. Do not get super highly spiritual with these people when they're going through this. Do not become philosophical. Do not try and give highly intellectual answers do not give medical advice unless you're a doctor here it sounds so silly but you got this just be present be present and whatever form that person needs that's it and it's as simple as that it's not overly intellectual when you hear the word prem what does that do for you what comes up for you for me, it means that my daughter arrived early. It means that her sass arrived earlier. <laughs> That's what it means. Because I don't look at her and go, oh, you arrived early. Oh, my baby. It means you arrived early because you wanted to be here, but earlier. Yes, there were med medical reasons why you arrived earlier. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing for you. I know, I know a lot of people would see, a lot of people do see her. They go, oh, shame, she's so small. Sorry, I have to do the voice. <laughs> um, we know she's small because she's prim. And with my jeans, it doesn't help her. How tall are you? Oh, flip, I'm one for nothing. I'm one for seven. <laughs> I, can't even say, I can't even brag and say I'm one five. <laughs> what, what do you think would be helpful for moms without prim babies to know about prim babies helpful to know about prim babies 
is obviously if you're around a prem baby, don't assume that you're going to hold the baby. Just don't assume that you're going to go in and babies are just going to be held. There's a reason why she's prem. Her immune system is still, or his immune system is still getting stronger. So don't just go and touch. You shouldn't be doing that to any baby, actually. But don't touch the baby, firstly. Do not go out and say, wow, his prem is so big. Sometimes those babies are big on the outside, but inside they're still little because we don't, we can't see developmentally inside. So don't assume that prem means small or big or that there's something wrong. Prem means that they just arrived early and we are still figuring this out. I mean, we've come a long way medically when it comes to prem anyway. Don't comment on the fact that there's anything wrong with them. Just say, cool, how was your journey? Do you want to talk about it? Don't you want to talk about it? Well, that's really helpful. So going back to the preeclampsia, because that's an added component, what was your second pregnancy like? So my second pregnancy was very stressful because I was high risk. And I I think I freaked my gynae out completely. I was seven weeks. She found out I was pregnant because I told her. And she said to me, I'd like to see you tomorrow, please. So completely different in the sense of we knew more information. We knew going into it what we were going, what was possibly going to happen. So we were a little bit more prepared. I had my bag packed for the hospital at 21 weeks because I oh. was like, I want to know that I'll have good pajamas on if this is going to be happening to me because I didn't have that. And, and I wanted my gown. So we had backpacked for 21 weeks. We knew that my blood pressure had to be checked at least two to three times a day. So I needed to keep tabs on it. And we also knew that there was a chance that he or she was going to come early, that she might go into the NICU. And again, I'm, I wanted to prepare myself emotionally for that. But the difference was we didn't have COVID. Rich could come to all the appointments. He was going to be with me in the theater. He was going to be with me in the room. And that made the biggest difference sure. because com people and community. So like, again, she, so Josie arrived at 36 weeks. She was absolutely fine. She was what they call the redemptive story, if that's even a word, because I had her with me the entire time. I gave birth to her. She came with me back to the ward. She came with me back to the room. Wow. I walked in. I mean, I didn't walk in door. I rolled in back after the <laughs> surgery. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that kind of Wonder Woman. I was going to say, I was like, if you walked, it would have been very painful. <laughs> I think nobody told you about. <laughs> the best, the best memory I have from having Josie this, the, like the second time around was when they wheeled me back into my room, there Rich was doing skin to skin with her. He never had that with the Hallie. Oh. He had that with Josie and he could sit there with me from eight until eight the evening in that room. And we were together. Wow. We were in the trenches together. The first time I was in the trenches, he was there. He couldn't be with me. He couldn't be in the front line with me. But he was with me the second time around. Proper, proper in the trenches. So, yeah, I had more medical advice. I had more medical knowledge about what was happening to my body. And we could just prayerfully do it as much as possible. And she arrived at 36 weeks on the 13th of Feb. 
2.5 kgs now a lot of people still look at that and go wow she's so small i'm like hell no you don't know what small is <laughs> you don't know what's small is until you call them one from one kid in your hand potato butternut <laughs> potato and i was like we celebrate this and everybody's like ah, but she is still small i'm like not in our family is there anything else that you that you want to share I think we all have a story to to share not to sound very much like Oprah we have a story to share but we do we all have something extremely powerful to share within what's happening and there's a strength that lies in that there's a strength that lies in what you've gone through and what you're going through and and don't don't go, oh, there's other people that are going through harder stuff. Yes, there are. But you've also gone through a hard thing. You've also gone through a harder season. And that's okay. Don't be afraid to share that. Don't be afraid to share that strength that you've gone through as a woman, as a mom, as a wife, as a sister, as a friend. You are all these categories that you have to try and figure out. But there's strength in that. There's strength in having accomplished that. There's strength in having a good day. Don't be afraid to share your story, but also don't be afraid to have a community and allow yourself to have a community. Rich and I went through a very hard season and I never used to use the word hard because I read in a Joyce Meyer book, we never say hard, we say it's a trial. Listen, there's hard seasons. And we went through a hard season, but we also had people that would come alongside us and pray with us. And when I said people, we had people that would sit with us in the trenches and they still are praying with us. And you need that people, you need that community. So if you're a mom out there and you're alone, girl, get onto the WhatsApp group that we're on with 4AM, start following 4AM Club, start reaching out into a community of women that wants to come alongside you because you're going to need it whether it's praying with you whether it's just walking with you whether it's just sitting with you and swearing you're going to need that because you're not meant to be in this life alone thank you so much for for sharing and for being vulnerable and for yeah just being so encouraging and I so appreciate you Danny thanks for asking what a what a privilege it is I hope you found that as inspiring as I did. Until next time.